the women's class as our, as our brothers are down there having their main session and you guys decided to come and get here early and uh, enjoy learning how to age with grace. Amen. <laughs> I came in and Tana my friend, she's like, yeah, I'm going to come to your class because aging doesn't always feel very graceful. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought it's, it's interesting because my husband and I, I'm Deb Anton, my husband and I oversee the Hampton Roads Church. And uh, we, have, we did years and years of campus ministry, uh, raising up the youth, putting them in the ministry. We thought, this is the lane we're going to stay in forever. But you know, God has different plans. <laughs> Man makes plans, but God determines our steps. And it's interesting as we move back to the coastal regions, one of the most mature regions in our particular church. And uh, my girlfriends are my age and older. And we keep studying the Bible and baptizing mature women. I obviously God is moving me in a different direction. And I thought, and then we started this Lydia leadership group because yeah. we had these mature women with leadership skills. We thought we need training Amen. for mature women, whether they're single, married, divorced, widowed, we need training. And Gwen Hopkins is going to share a little bit about that a little bit later. Um, I have my dear friend Kim Versace. She's going to do some sharing a bit. But I wanted to kind of just jump right in there. I know we've got not much time, and this is a big topic. But when you take a survey in the Bible, not many people aged well. Mm. Think about it. Yeah. You have Sarah. Started out pretty well. Mm -hmm. Went with her husband. I don't know how many conversations they had or what they sounded like. I sometimes try to sit back and imagine. Here they are, the most wealthiest in all of their area at that time, culturally wealthy. And then she ends up living in tents, mm -hmm. going who knows where. And she follows her husband. What great faith. But then she ends up lying to the face of God, yeah. <laughs> laughs and lying to the face of God. And then even after she experiences God's divine power, having a child miraculously at age 90, and even God's grace that despite she didn't have the unwavering faith of her husband, that God still gives her the promise, she sends out Hagar and her teenage son Ishmael into the desert to basically die. Mm -hmm. A murderous heart doesn't go out so well. Think about Moses. Moses started out with when when they he, he came down from the mountain and saw them worshiping the golden calves. He prays like God forgive them. And he said, but if you won't, then take my life instead. And he's basically willing to give up his salvation for the Israelites. But then later, what happens? He gets so frustrated with them. When God says, speak to the rock, he gets frustrated and loses his temper, which we know he had a little temper, and strikes it and doesn't get to enter the promised land. Not a glorious exit. Miriam, oh my goodness, Miriam is a young girl. She convinces an Egyptian princess to get her mom to be the wet nurse for her baby brother. How amazingly witty and brave. And then later on in life, after the after the opening, the parting of the Red Sea, and, and seeing, I mean, walking through the sea, Jewish people did not like water. This was a scary thing. And then seeing the Egyptians coming after them, and then, then the Egyptians and the horses floating in the sea as the water came back together. And I would have been like, PTSD, what are we doing? What just happened? Let me process. She picks up a tamarind and starts praising God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, but then we get to Numbers 12. And then perhaps out of fear, maybe envy. She's like, well, could God just choose Moses to lead? 
life. You know, can we really trust him? Maybe we need to have a little bit more control. Doesn't go, then she gets up leprosy, and then her brother ends up praying for her to be cured, which God does have grace and gives her that cure. Not a glorious exit. David kills Goliath, mighty warrior. But then later, ends up not being out, you know, partnering side by side with the soldiers, but on his rooftop, scoping the rooftops, ends up committing adultery and second degree murder. And then ends up dying, shivering next to a woman that's not his wife, Abishai. Not a glorious exit. Asa did right in the eyes of God. He jumped to the male shrine, prostitutes, the idols. He even deposed his own grandmother. No sentimentality there. Right. But then in the end, what happens? He gets fearful, decides to give, uh, pay off a pagan king with the silver and the gold in the temple on his own. And that doesn't go well. Then he gets a severe disease of his feet. And instead of talking to the, instead of relying on God at that point, it says he specifically did not rely on God but turned to physicians mm. and his pride and self-reliance and dies that way. Hezekiah. God even said in 2 Kings 18 that there was no king of Judah better before or after. And he was such an amazing king. He even requested when he, had, when he was ill for, for more years, and God gives him 15 more years. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, in those 14 years, 15 years, the king of Babylon comes to show his respect for the recovering king. And what does Hezekiah do? Look at my kingdom. Yeah. Let me show you all the gold and silver that we have. And then Isaiah comes in and says, because what you have done, your own flesh and blood will be born to you, will be taken away, and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of King Babylon. And how does Hezekiah respond? Well, the word you have spoken is good. Sounds good, right? But then he said, it doesn't say he said, he thought. Will there be not be peace and security in my lifetime? Whoa. Oh my goodness, Hezekiah, what happened? We don't have a whole lot of great examples of aging with grace in the scriptures. We do have some, though. It's an elite few. We have... Of course, there's Caleb. We know about Caleb and Joshua. Yes. Caleb and Joshua, I mean, they were the two men that um, that were able to enter the promised land. The only two of the 12. Only, tw only two of millions of people because they had great faith. You know, Caleb says when he was 85, I'm just as strong as I was back then, and I know about the Zanakites, but God with me, I will fight them off and take over the promised land. I want to be like Caleb. Amen. <laughs> but we're going to talk about a woman here who ages with grace. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Amen. Amen. My bad. Let's hear some good news. Amen. Certainly. This is possible to age with grace. And Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about a woman. A woman in her old age, very old it says, gets to proclaim the coming of the Messiah yes. and of the prophetess. And then Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 36, it says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. It's interesting. That's the NIV. If anybody has an NET, it's probably a little bit more literal translation. Um, it's that she lived for 84 years as a widow. 
So she lives, she was married for seven years, lived as a widow for 84 years, and she probably, like back then, maybe got married when she was 15. We're talking very old, and because it says very old, most scholars believe this is more likely, um, that she was closer to 106. Wow. Um, until, okay, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, Come, um, coming up to them, at this very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So as Mary and Joseph came in, she sees their son, he's like, and as a prophetess, she's like, this is the one. And gets to proclaim Jesus Christ to those who were looking for redemption of Israel. What an amazing privilege. But who is she? Who is this Anna? Where did she come from? What do we know about her? How did she get to be so different? How did she age with such grace? We know that she's a prophetess. There's a leap view right there. She's of the main prophets. We only have Miriam, Deborah, and Huldah. That's it. Then, of course, there's the four daughters of um, Philip, who are also prophets, but very, very few. That's it. From Old to New Testament, that's it. We have Anna, Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, and the four daughters of Philip. Think about that. Having the words of God. That scripture where Luke says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Can you imagine your heart being full of God's words and just coming out? I can't even imagine. I know for me personally, when I memorize scriptures, sometimes I feel like, oh, is this really going to help me? And I'm memorizing scriptures, and I memorize chapters. I even memorize books of the Bible when I was younger. Um, But when I didn't, I found myself internalizing it. It did become, I mean, even certain words became more real to me. Uh, but I just can't imagine just having that come from your heart. And, uh, of course, this prophecy is a pretty encouraging one. Not all prophecies were encouraging. Some were quite terrifying. Now, they were always out of a heart of love, but sometimes at, uh, the heart of a love, sometimes it can still be scary and hard love. Uh, because, why well, do we know that? Because God is love, First John 4, 8. But can you imagine the intimacy she had with God? And that words of God. I think of uh, Gwen's going to come up here in a little bit, but when she first moved to Virginia from New York, uh, she said, she said, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I read my Bible for, for a few hours. <laughs> so when she came out to our church, this is before she was a disciple of Jesus Christ. She was preparing her heart. She would get up, and so by the time we studied the Bible with her, she was primed and ready to go. I thought, this is the easiest Bible study I've ever done. <laughs> I know humps and bumps come in different ways, but boy, she was primed. And I thought, wow, the word of God. She's the daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel, another word for that is Peniel. It's, it literally means the face of God. When Jacob wrestles with God, he calls the place uh, Peniel, the same word, um, just where I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The face of, she's the daughter of the father who's called the face of God, which is interesting. Now, is that because he was such a great representation of God to his daughter? Perhaps. There's a little generational tidbit there. But isn't it interesting that her father's name, the face of God, and his daughter actually gets to hold the face of God. Um, she was a model of widowhood. In 1 Timothy 5 5, the Apostle Paul says, the, you know, who should get uh, supported in their widowhood? It's the widow who is really in need and left all alone, who puts her hope in God and Amen. continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. 
Anna would be that example of somebody who did that. Luke presents her positively as a woman without bitterness. <coughs> but you can imagine how easily she could have been bitter. Mm -hmm. Married for seven years. Did she have children during those seven years? We don't see her children. No mention of children here. Perhaps she outlived them. Possible. Uh, perhaps she never had any. We don't know. But she's not embittered. She didn't have probably the life she thought when she started. She's different here. She's one full of hope. Luke presents her here as well-adjusted, engaged in Israel's life, and useful to the Lord. She's described as a worshiper. It's interesting. It says uh, that she lived in the temple. Most people think she no one really lived in the temple. It's, it's a term to be like she's fully committed to temple life. And you know, we have people in our churches like that. Fully committed. I'm going to have Kim Versage uh, come up and share a little bit. She, to me, and the reason why I wanted her to share is because she's a woman who's fully committed. You know, she was there at the beginning of Hampton Road. She's still there. And it, despite any crazy health issues, she's going to be sharing the gospel with somebody. Yes. <laughs> Whether it's on the field. Whether, I can't even tell you how many people she has studied the Bible with. When she can't even sit up, she'll lie back on Amen. her back and spew out scriptures. And she's trying yes. to help women know. And she's one of the reasons why we have such a mature Amen. ministry in yes. the coastal region. Yes. Um, but she, but this, uh, Anna had a committed faith. You know, in Acts 26, verse 7, it says, This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. It didn't mean literally, um, but it meant this heart of commitment. Um, when we think of worship, I love the Apostle Paul's description of worship in Romans 12, 1, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or sisters here, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. I think we see Anna doing that here. Yes. We can just imagine what she was like as she walked around the temple, giving grace to different people, being such a great example. And it says she prayed day and night. So when Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray continually. Just two little words, right? Pray continually. Right. And we see Jesus' great example of that. He gets up early in the morning while it's still dark. I'm not a morning person. This challenges me. Um, he gets up early, and then in, in Luke 5, it says uh, he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And then sometimes we see him praying all night in Luke 6, when he prayed all night on the mountainside before he chose the apostles. You know, I think people, I've heard people describe prayer as a preparation for battle. I don't quite agree with that. I think prayer is the battle. Yes. Anything like me, prayer is the battle. If anyone has tried to live out 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually, that's the battle. Amen. I've got to fight to stay in prayer, Amen. to rely on God through prayer. Oh, we just got back from Panama at the ILC. Someone described one of the greatest tragedies in our church is all the unoffered prayers. Mm. Now, we have a generous God. We need to engage in dialogue with them continuously. That's a battle. It's not natural. We get distracted by all the things around yes. us. Yes. But we see Anna here, worshiping, praying, day and night. And that's not it. She also fasts. Yes. Fasting, I love food. I really <laughs> love food. Some people, I have somebody just stayed with my, uh, my teenage daughters and 
she's like, well, I don't really like food that much. And now it's kind of like fuel. And I'm like, I can't relate to you at all. <laughs> she's like, if I get hungry, I just go to bed because I wake up and I'm not hungry anymore. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I thought, I cannot relate to you. Fasting is really hard for me. But it's also really good for me. Fasting can take our reliance off the flesh and into harmony with an all-powerful God who demands humility of those who desire to be close to him. You know, fasting can humble the flesh if it's done with the right attitude. Mm -hmm. I have fasted with the wrong attitude. Like, look at me, I'm fasting. I don't say those words right. because it's my pride. I don't say that, and I know it's bad. <laughs> uh, but I know in my heart, I'm thinking, God will listen to me now because I'm fasting. That's not the kind of fasting mm -hmm. that is fasting with humility. Yes. But fasting can clear us out and right. opens us to hear and seek the intentional, intentionally seek out God's will and grace in a way that goes beyond the normal habit of worship and prayer. And we see Anna as a woman who worshiped, fasted, and prayed. So there's so many examples of fasting. Communally, like Ezra, you, you know, people when they declare fast, and you know, Esther de declare fast communally, but we have lots of individual prayers, so many through the Bible I'm not going to go through because I want these wonderful women to share at the end here. But just to mention a few, miraculous prayer of Moses, 40 days. That was miraculous, meaning that you can't actually fast for 40 days and survive. But God allowed Moses and Jesus to uh, have those miraculous prayers, fast in the flesh. Hannah prayed, fasted. David David didn't just fast. He fasted for his enemies when they were sick. Psalm 35, verse 13. Have you ever fasted when somebody that didn't like you needed something? That's convicting. Uh, of course, Saul, before he became Paul, fasted for three days. You know, fasting clears us out and opens us to intentionally seeking God's will and grace. If we do it with the right attitude, it's to humble ourselves, not to manipulate God or to earn his grace, but to not rely on our flesh, but to rely on God. So... We see people like Caleb and Anna. They're so different, aren't they? What do we see in both of them? We see both that they are looking forward. Yes. Like Caleb was looking forward to the promised land. Anna was looking forward to the Messiah. Looking forward. You know, um, but there has to be more, because we often look forward to, we all have the same promise. So how were they able to connect with that, looking forward and faithfully? And I think we get a little bit of clues from Anna's namesake. Anna, which is actually the same name as Hannah, means grace. Her life is one that demonstrated her appreciation of grace. Worship, praying, fasting. You know, a life that demonstrates such grace ends up receiving an incredible honor, not just as a prophetess, but the incredible honor of proclaiming Jesus to Israel. And even as a prophetess, even more so than Simeon, who was amazing himself. But to give grace, we have to first appreciate grace. Because what is grace? Grace is the ultimate expression of God's love. Yes. And what do the scriptures say about God's love? We love because he first loved us, First John chapter 4. And we all have access to God's love and his grace. 
but it's the knowledge of it, the understanding of God's love and grace that allows us to give grace. There's no other way to be able to do this, is to appreciate God's grace. Let's look at some of those earlier ones that didn't grace so, didn't aim so gracefully. Let's look at what might have derailed some of them. Sarah experiences God's divine power and his grace, but yet in fear. She was still afraid, even though she had the promise, even though she got to experience a miracle of having a baby, it still wasn't enough for her. So what does she get? She gets fearful. And what happens when we get fearful? We get self-protective. Yes. What is that self-protection called? Pride. Pride. She gets proud. Moses was willing to give up his own salvation just for the Israelites to get saved because he loved them so much. But at the end, he gets frustrated with them. When we get frustrated with people, what is that? We get frustrated with people because we think we wouldn't do what they're doing. Right. We think we're better. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Miriam, in her fear of like, well, I don't know, Moses. What about that? What about that pagan wife? And you know, I'm big sister. You know, I'm the one who saved him. Didn't he choose me? Gets controlling. Bride. David. Now, what an amazing king, warrior, did amazing things for God. But why wasn't he out in battle? I mean, he got so proud, he didn't even realize the depth of his darkness until confronted by the prophet Nathan. His heart was so hard. Why? Pride. Asa clearly becomes self-reliant. And when he gets afraid, he doesn't consult God. He decides, well, I have a good idea. Let me give the silver and the gold to this pagan king and make him go away. And then let me rely on these physicians because uh, I know better. Humanistic. What is that? Hezekiah. Oh, my goodness. Well, he thought, well, this is not going to happen in my life. I'm just focusing on himself. Mm-hmm. What pride. <laughs> you see this? I mean, to be able to appreciate grace, we have to fight for this humility. Faith and humility and appreciating the grace is all one and the same thing. Because the more humble we are, the smaller we are, and the bigger God gets. What is faith? Faith in a big, huge God. Faith and humility, you can't, the more humble you are, the more faith you have, the more faith you have, the more humility you have. It's circular. And the more faith and humility you have, the more you appreciate God for who he is, which is God is love, 1 John 4, 16, 1 John 4, 8. And the more you appreciate God is love, his ultimate love being his grace, the more you appreciate grace. Mm, yes. You know, I've been reading this book by Preston Pring- Sprinkle called Caris, God's Scandalous Grace for Us. I mean, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give, nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. So why, sometimes well, as we age, we start thinking like, oh, I look at what some of the things I did. Our resume gets a little bit bigger. And we start thinking, I did okay. I did some good things. Grace has nothing to do with the recipient. It has everything to do with the giver. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. The cliche definition of grace is unconditional love. We say that so quickly, but unconditional love. It is true. Further, though, I mean, grace is a love that has nothing to do with the, but the love. It has everything to do only with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with the weights and measures. 
It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or the so-called gifts, whatever they may be. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves, in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved, that negates any qualification the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way love. As soon as we start to believe we've earned grace in any way, mm. we no longer understand or appreciate the truth of grace. It has nothing to do with us. We're the recipients. It has everything to do with him. Why is it hard when you look through the resume of all these amazing people in the Bible? Perhaps they thought, thinking like I did okay. Instead of realizing, no, God did okay. And this was all grace. In this book, in Karrison, in the foreword, there's a quote by Tavijan. He's an um, Episcopalian minister. He says, grace brings us back into the contact with the children we once were, and still are. Children who love to ride roller coasters to smile and yell and throw our hands up in the air. Grace, in other words, is terrifyingly fun. And like any ride worth riding, standing in line for it, is worth coming back to again and again. In fact, God's one-way love may be the only ride that never gets old. The only ride we thankfully never outgrow. A source of inexhaustible hope and joy for an inexhausted world. Appreciating grace is dire. It is important. We must stay humble and grateful so we can appreciate grace. When we act out of duty, guilt, people-pleasing, we get overwhelmed, we crash, and we do not age with grace. Come on. Clearly, Anna's devout, committed, reliant life in her old age came out of a humble heart. How did she humble herself? She kept fasting and praying. Right. And she prayed and fasted out of humility, but that also made her more humble. Yeah. Which, of course, made her more reliant on God. Which made her understand God more, which made her more graceful. Mm. Although she gets to see and touch the promised Messiah, and deliver the deliverer of the Jews, she never got to see him die on a cross for her, to take his sins in her. And she may have had the outpouring of the words of God through from her heart into her mouth, but she didn't have a piece of God inside of her, like baptized disciples have. We actually have access to a bigger knowledge of grace than even Anna had. You can do even more than she could do because you have more ammunition. We've just got to slow down and appreciate it. I love the, when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. I mean, grace energizes us in our older bodies, our bodies that are falling apart, getting sick and ailments, and I tried to play volleyball. I have no business playing volleyball in Panama next to the equator. You know, our bodies are not quite the same, but energized with yes. this grace. You know, but what's, what I love about God, and I want to come back to this before I ask these women to come up, even these people didn't perhaps age so well in the Bible, still to appreciate God's grace. Yes. Sarah, in 1 Peter 3, 6, is known as someone who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And we are her daughters if we do what is right and not give way to fear. What an honor. What grace. Moses is with Elijah and Jesus at the transfiguration. I don't think he's, he cares about the promised land at that point. <laughs> you know, Miriam 
And Micah, the minor prophet later, Micah 6, 4, many years later, talks about how God chose Moses and also Aaron and Miriam. You know, David in the New Testament, Acts 13, 22, is known as a man who takes after God's own heart. Asa, when his, after he dies, his child, when his, father, when his son takes um, the kingship, it says that he did not, you know, uh, he walked, and Asa's son is recorded as walked in the way of Asa and his father and did not turn aside from it, doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father. Grace. Hezekiah. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. Wow. How much grace do we get? We're a mess. But we get credited the righteousness of Jesus, yes. who was the only human being who lived a perfectly righteous life. And you get credited with that. When you got baptized, you got you didn't just get your sins forgiven. You got credited with his life. Why did he come as a baby and have to live a whole life? Because he needed to live a righteous life. So you, you can get credited yes. with his righteousness. Because it's his righteousness that gets you into heaven. It's his blood, his righteousness. Therefore, if we're going to age with grace, we've got to work hard at internalizing something quite unnatural. Something that goes against that childlike sense of justice, yet completely like a childlike humble dependence on God. I love when Jesus says, I truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, let's finish strong like Caleb, pure like Anna. You know, there are others, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, all elderly, able to serve as transitions into the new covenant, useful, valuable. I want to be like that. Yeah. And you know what? You're going to get grace anyway. You're going to be fired up on that last day. Yes. But let's, let's do it. Let's help each other. Let's age with grace. Yeah. Let's rely on him with prayer and fasting, internalizing his words, meditating on his grace, who he really is. Be aware when we start becoming self-reliant, self-focused. A good symptom for me is when I, my prayers are not, um, they're just a checkbox versus yes. really humbly, Pouring desperately out. relying on him. Let's fight that humility by using ourselves into God's word, praying and fasting so we can appreciate God's grace and age. I'm going to ask Kim Versace to come up Amen. and share a little bit about her journey and how she's been able to, despite intense health issues, been able to be part of worshiping, praying, fasting, and converting many people. Amen. Well, I'm going to start out by just sharing this scripture that I thought about a lot. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is a portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Wasn't the whole time that I had been ill that I had such hope. I, I was very desperate. I'll just start out by kind of giving you a little snippet of what, what had happened. Um, in the spring of 2017, I was officiating lacrosse, and all of a sudden I couldn't run from here to the wall. Like I was gassed, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe right. So they sent me to have a metabolic test on a bike. They hooked me up, and all of a sudden my blood pressure is 200 over 97. Get off bike. Go to the doctor. Most people would send you to the ER, but mm -hmm. because of what my history was, they just sent me to my um, doctor. So that wasn't good. Now I'm on blood pressure medicine. Had a right heart catheterization. 
while I was riding this bike, we can't figure it out. It's not my heart, it's not my lungs. All of a sudden I've got high blood pressure. Um, that August was time for field hockey officiating. I was a health and PE teacher for 16 years and I did our camp and all that. So I love all that kind of active stuff. So August, I start to officiate field hockey. I get two games in and I cannot run anymore. My hip is killing me. So my husband's a PA in orthopedics, so we're trying to be the conservative way. I get on crutches, I go to the therapy and everything, and I feel like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. <laughs> you know, maybe I can go back out. I go back out, two games, I can hardly walk again. Okay, going to need a hip operation. All right, I'm a little on the young side, let's just try the arthroscopic way. So that was about October, and we're getting into November. All of a sudden, my doctor calls and he says, your labs show that your blood sugar is 600. You need to go to the ER. Wow. I uh, developed uh, diabetes from prednisone. So now I'm a diabetic, taking two types of medications, counting this, counting that, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight. And I hate to have to think about what I'm going to eat. That's just, I don't mind thinking about if my husband or my son wants something. I want to cook for them, but to think about me, I don't want to do that. Just have something and I'll eat it, you know. So that, that was kind of part of my life. Um, so it's now January, time for my arthroscopic hip operation. We do that. We go to look back, and it's not feeling great. It is just not like doing its trick. Go to look at the x-rays and stuff. The, um, the hip now has less joint space. Mm -hmm. So it's rubbing even more than it was. But I said to my husband, I said, you know, Paul, my back's really been hurting. He says, oh, that's just because you're, you know, you, oh, what is it called, Deb? D conditioned deconditioned okay yes i was deconditioned i was down for a lot and i thought oh this is excruciating so he gets a little bit of my back and um we see a couple of compression fractures in my lumbar so i had i keep following up with this and trying to do stuff and um i got two kidney stones oh. had to go to the er and then um, in the ER, they found some more compression fractures. Then I got my kidney stones out, and the compression fractures were like just unbelievable. I ended up with six of them, three in the thoracic, three in the lumbar. And I remember laying on my bed, and Deb set me into my bed, and I'm just crying. I'm like thinking, I just wanted to go see Jesus. I didn't want to be around because it was just too painful, you know. Um, I even had to go to Chicago in May before they put the kyphoplasty, the cement in the top two. I had to go for my son's graduation and to see my grandchild. I couldn't even hold my grandchild, you know. And I'm like all hooked up. Sorry, I know you guys are all women. 
you know, I got the back brace on, and I got the note, I've got the, what are these Tens called? Units. Tens unit hooked up yeah. to me, you know, like just to function, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, you just, it's hard to enjoy things. Yeah. But something really special happened to me. God gave me a promise. He didn't actually um, heal me the way all that I wanted to. I did end up getting a brand new hip in the end of May, so I had a total hip done, so that was another operation. But, look, can you move me? I'm not. I'm not. 
I have to find something to eat so I can take the medicine. I eat a Fig Newton sometimes just to take my medicine because I don't want to have to deal with the other stuff. And I just have to push myself, one foot in front of the other. Finally, some of the medicine kicks in, but I have to make a plan every day what I'm going to do. I can't just be by myself. It doesn't work. It doesn't work by yourself. You have to give to somebody. Amen. If you're not giving to somebody, then you're lonely. So I really feel like when you transfer your heart, your Jesus heart, to someone else, that's the real gift. So if you're not doing that, you go find someone to do Amen. it with. Amen. That's the best medicine, especially as we age, to keep us going and keep us youthful, Amen. keep us loving, keep us vibrant. Amen. So go out and give. <laughs> And it comes from Psalm 92, 12 through 14. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I want to tell you about some of the amazing women that are in the Hampton Roads Church. Uh, but first, I want to talk just a moment about the vision of Deb Anton. Before I even became a disciple, which happened just over a year ago, I received an invitation from Deb to be a part of this Lydia's leadership group. I did not know who Lydia was. So I started doing some research. And even though there isn't a lot about her in the Bible, Deb is always teaching us about the women of the Bible, encouraging us and, and encouraging us to look at our faith and examine our faith on a regular basis by, by doing these in-depth studies of women in the Bible. And it's having such an impact on, on me and on many of us. But when we read about Lydia in Acts 16, what we find out is, we find out very little about her. She, we know that she is a merchant of purple cloth. We know that she dyed the cloth. We know that she was Asian. We know that she lived in Philippi. We know that she encountered Paul and his companions during their missionary, their second missionary trip. And we also know that she is a woman of means. We don't know if she was married. We assume that she is a widow. We don't know if she had children. But we know that she was a woman of means because she had this business and because she was able to open up her home to Paul and his companions. What I loved about reading about Lydia was that she was probably already very active in her community and probably already a leader in her own right, looking after and supporting the other people in her, in her community and in her town. But what I loved about reading about her was that God opened her heart. And when Deb talked earlier about me being ready, I was ready. Uh, but I had no idea what was awaiting me. <laughs> and I was so grateful. I, I got more than I, more than I ever could have imagined, but I don't want to lose track of my thoughts. So Lydia's heart was open, and as a result, she became the first documented convert in Christianity in Europe. 
And after she and her whole household were baptized, she opened up her home to Paul and their companions and thereby helped to further the spreading of the gospel and, and the spreading of Christianity in that region. And so when I think about, when I, now that I had a better understanding of who Lydia was, I said, okay. So they put me together with this really amazing sister named Mary Lou Horrigan. She's sitting right there in the third row. And Mary Lou has just the way about her. And Deb knows how to put people together. She's like, you should work with that person. That's, that's really gonna work out. And it has. And Mary Lou and I worked and we started talking about Lydia Leadership Group. We started talking about the great meeting that they had last week, last year at Deb's house and talking about what the needs were for the mature women in our group. We're so blessed that we have this amazing tapestry of vibrant women in our church Amen. that are so gifted, so giving, so filled with grace, so loving, so generous with their, with their knowledge, with their, with their spiritual maturity. They serve in a number of areas. Um, many of them are sitting in this room today, and I will tell you that a year ago, I didn't know any of these women, and now I cannot even imagine my life without them. I was a loner, you know, I was like, I got this, I can take care of this, I can do that. But then God taught me all that I did not know and understand about him. And Lydia's leadership group continues that process with me, mentoring me, guiding me, teaching me, training me. And I realized that I need a lot of training. So I'm grateful for this group of women. And these are some of the areas where they work at and provide support to, our, to the body of Christ. Hospitality is a really big issue for us. It was for Lydia. Lydia opened up her home and thereby showing great hospitality. Now, many of you, I'm sure, have opened up your home and invited guests to come in. Some of you probably have guests staying with you now who are here visiting for the conference. Opening up your home requires you to open up your heart. And that is what these women have done. They open up their hearts. They see you, will see you through almost any situation. So it goes beyond the welcoming table, but we also have one of our sisters here, Judy, and I'm gonna ask her to stand in a minute because she is the face of hospitality in our church. <laughs> when you come into Hampton Roads Church, rain or shine, Judy is there. And Judy is there ready to welcome you. Judy is there ready to give you a Bible. She is ready to greet you, to hug you. No matter how many people are coming in, she makes time to greet and, and, and spend time with everyone. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she does it, but I'm always so amazed at how she does it. And people remember meeting her, and it causes them to want to come back to get more of what we're offering. And so I'm so, so, so grateful for her. So I'm going to ask, ask her to stand in a minute. Uh, but I really do want to just share that the Lydia Leadership Group is more than hospitality. Hospitality is important. There's lots of support and help that are given to people that are in need, whether you are grieving, whether you are celebrating, whether you are moving, whatever is happening in your life. If, you're, if you're, you need just some additional encouragement or support, if you need some mentoring, if you need someone to pray for you, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to just just give you a hug, a Christian hug and say everything is gonna be okay. You know, if you need someone to sit down and just have coffee with and talk about what's happening. This group of women are the most vibrant women that I've ever met and they range in age uh, varying from, I guess from 50, maybe even, maybe even, maybe even late 40s to perhaps the, their 70s. These women are so vibrant and amazing and I am so, so grateful to God for allowing me to be a part of it. I love working with women. I love working with within our church. And I, the Lydia Leadership Group really provides a foundation for us to be able to do that work. 
There's also a lot that is done in terms of, I, I talked about mentoring for a minute, but I think it's important, especially for new disciples. And in our church, we have a number of new disciples that became disciples in their 60s. And I'm one of them. Right. And I can say that this was not my plan. <laughs> my plan was to move from New York City, which is where I'm from, move to New York, move from New York to Virginia and retire. That was my plan, to binge watch TV, Law and Order, CSI Miami. You know, I lived within, within five minutes walking distance to the church and passed by the building wow. three years. Wow. You know, I never could have imagined that God had placed me exactly where he wanted me to be. And I walked in the door on that day and met Sheila Hollis who sat down and talked to me about all the wonderful programs that the church offered and told her I was interested in Bible study and I wanted to know more about God's word. Went to church that Mother's Day, amen, a year ago and became a disciple. But I, I want to talk about, thank you. I want to share also that as a result of the Lydia Leadership Group, having a focus on the needs of mature women, having a focus on what is it that we need, making sure that we don't fall through the cracks, making sure that we know that we are still vital, making sure that we know we may have to work a little harder to get it done. We may walk a little slower. You know, I see a lot of us walking through these big holes, but we're here. Amen, we're here. And we're here because we want to be fed. And we're here because we need each other. We really, really need each other. And so amen, amen, amen. So I, I want to share that one of the needs that was identified by the Lydia Leadership Group was a need to make sure that senior women, sorry, we don't like to be called senior, like we call mature women, that the mature women of our church, we needed to make sure that we had supports in place for them so that they would continue to grow spiritually. So that they would, oh, I'm sorry, so that they would continue to be able to have opportunities to, to fellowship, to study the Bible, and so the Safe Bible Study group was formed. Safe Bible Study is almost a year old. It started out as uh, with a Lydia Leadership Group member meeting, learning of a need of one of our sisters, one of our senior sisters who was also a new disciple, and then inviting her into her home for an informal Bible talk, which grew into this amazing sage Bible study that we now all enjoy and is 23 members strong. So the women in that group age from their 50s to, the to their 70s. And I will tell you that we 80s, have seen, 80s, 80s I'm sorry, we, I'm sorry, mid-80s, forgive me. We have seen the transformation that is happening as a result of our being able to come together on a regular basis, building relationships, creating a safe environment so that we can really share what's going on. I'm struggling with prayer time. I'm struggling with my quiet time. I'm struggling with reading the Bible. I'm studying, I'm str struggling with finding time to do all the things that I know that I need to do so that I can grow mature and grow mature within the body of Christ. So we reach out to one another and we help one another. And we have become the prayer warriors for our church. Amen. And we're grateful that, because that now we have prayer partners. And so we're now praying together on a regular basis with one another, strengthening. Next week, we're going out to share our faith. Come on. Because yeah. we want women to practice all that we've been learning. Some of us are actually teaching the lessons that we study. Some sisters who would have thought six months ago, I can't do that. It's too hard. I can't do it. They're doing it. Now they're doing it. They are doing it. They are setting it up. And it's, and it's so wonderful because we're growing together, we're learning together, we love each other, and we want to continue to grow. And so I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to share. I want to let you know that this whole experience of, of really meeting God and really understanding who God is, coming into the Hampton Roads Church, understanding what it means to be a part of an amazing fellowship, 
has changed my life. And I'm so, so grateful to our leaders and I'm so, so grateful to all of you. So thanks for letting me share. Amazing men and AJ's been great. Amen. We are dismissed to go to the next classes. Thank okay. you. Yeah, we have to sit out before the end. So the next April. No, it's okay. So the next April. Yes, yeah. Yes.